This is Dan Wilson Uncancelled. Let's go. Now, as Boris Johnson announced his resignation in Downing Street today, among those looking on was his wife, Carrie, who was pictured carrying their six-month-old daughter, Romy. The political activist is alleged to have been the driving force behind some of the PM's most controversial decisions and policies, particularly on the hot-button issues of climate change and gender ideology that were seen as a betrayal of conservative values. Well, one man with the inside track on their relationship is investigative journalist Tom Bauer, who's written some of the most explosive biographies ever published on figures ranging from Prince Charles to Jeremy Corbyn. And in 2020, he published Boris Johnston, The Gambler, an expose on the work and home life of the outgoing PM, named as the Book of the Year by The Sunday Times, The Daily Telegraph and The Guardian. And Tom Bauer joins me now. So, Tom, I mean, look, it usually is never fair to blame the partner, right, whether they are a man or a woman. So I'm loath to do it. But the difference with Carrie is she was intimately involved in policy, right? Well, worse than that, she actually determined who should be in the building and who shouldn't. I mean, the brow between her and Dominic Cummings will, I think, by historians, be seen as one of the great mistakes of Boris's reign, that he allowed her, effectively, to drive her out over the Allegra Stratton appointment, the spokesman woman, and she was a disastrous appointment idea. I think it's more than... Uh, the point about... I've gone into uh, the whole problem with Carrie. I mean, she really did turf Marina out of the marriage. She paraded herself with Boris when they were having an affair. And Marina had put up with a hell of a lot, but just she was being so openly humiliated. And I think the problem with Carrie is she, she was a disaster at Conservative Central Office. They asked her to leave for all sorts of reasons. She's a very needy person. She's someone who doesn't bring stability. And I do think in one, when the historians come to look at why Boris failed, and he did fail because he came in in 2019 with such promise and such hopes of so many people, uh, I think that it will be the destruction of his family life and home life, where Carrie, for example, insisted that they had to have Wilfred in bed with them as a baby, that Boris had to change the nappies during the night, that this whole ridiculous way of life for a prime minister, which is totally inappropriate, Carrie imposed on him. And I think it was her megalomania, in effect, her lack of reason. I mean, the, the stories about the wallpaper, of course, is much worse. Wasting and more, vast of sums, that, more of that and coming, more coming out, out tonight. tonight. I mean, right? just extraordinary waste of money on one of the most expensive home designers in London. It was just madness by Carrie spending money, which she should have known that Boris didn't have. And this idea of the of the treehouse for 120,000 in Chequers. Her behaviour in Chequers was terrible. And I think the whole point is that Boris is a person, which I've now discovered more and more, in search of love. He is deprived, really. He was deprived as a child in many ways and deprived throughout his whole life as this loner, this man looking for relationships. So he clings on to women. I always think the way in which he clung on to Carrie's hand when he went in St Paul's for the Jubilee celebrations and when he went in the other day in Kigali. It's a man who really is alone and he needed someone who is stable. And the problem with Carrie is she's not stable. She is very much, it's all about her. And I think this has been the problem. And I must tell you, I was listening to you just now, Dan, about why he doesn't leave Downing Street earlier. What do you think he should uh, Well, I think, of course, he should leave very quickly. But the problem is he hasn't got a home to go to. It was the same problem with foreign, it was the same when he was foreign minister. 
He hung around in Carlton Gardens for three weeks, where he should have left after three hours. And I think this story about he wants checkers for a, a, a party is exactly the reason. And, you know, he hasn't got a car even, he has nothing. And he hasn't got a woman who says, I will organize the domestic life. He can life. make a lot of money now. He'll make a fortune. He'll make, he'll write. Now, the point about his memoirs is they could be unbelievable if he's honest. If he says, why did it go wrong? Or the row with Cummings, or the row with the other people. It could be sensational. Uh, what was interesting tonight, though, is I spoke to someone who remains cl close to Boris Johnson, and uh, they said he is still the best man to lead Britain. And there is a sense emerging from people close to Boris that he hasn't actually accepted that this is the end of his frontline political career. Absolutely. I thought the, the, there were no tears like May. There was no churlish resignation, shrug of the shoulders like Cameron. It was a defiant speech. It was the speech that said, this is the end of one chapter, but the book is still to be written, another chapter will be Will he stay open. as an MP, do you think? I think he will stay as an MP. He won't obviously play a role. He won't sulk like May does against his successor. Uh, he'll get on with his books. He's got the Shakespeare book as well, which he got half a million for. He'll write a column again for a newspaper. He'll get on with earning the money he needs. And is that Shakespeare book actually written? Because there were rumours he was working on it even yeah. during yeah. his well, time as Prime Pierre. Minister, yeah, yeah. in Moustique. No, it, it'll, you know, he's got people who prepared the material. It'll come up very quickly. He'll, be, he'll have enough money very quickly, which is why he stopped worrying about money. No, I think that he is defiant. And I've been thinking about his defiance today, and you know, it was so foolish of him to lie about Pincher. It was so foolish of him to get the party gate lies out. It was madness. But in the end, it's his defiance. It is what he learned, I've described it before to you, that terrible, terrible child he had, looking at Stanley, his father, beating his mother and lying about the adultery and all this sort of thing. And the defiance today was just as the lies about Pincher or Partygate. He is never going to give way. He is never going to give his enemies, his critics, the material to attack him. And today I think we saw the real tough Boris, who we thought we'd elected in 2019, who we thought was going to have pursue with vision. Uh, and with resilience and strength and energy, his agenda. So I think that's going to come back at a later stage. But, but Tom, interestingly, you actually think uh, the history books uh, will view him far more favourably than is being discussed at the moment. I like do, him. because in the end, he got an 80 majority. He got Brexit done, whether you're for or against it. It was a referendum result. He did very well in COVID. He had to fight really left-wing scientists who were urging him to close down the country forever and all the rest of it. He then lost his way. I think he lost his way because of COVID, the long COVID, because of Carrie, because he just didn't appoint the right people. And he didn't understand how awful the civil service is. And Simon Case, the cabinet secretary, is really one of the worst appointments he could ever have made. And I think he'll rue the day. And that's why he'll come back in a few years. And I think to some extent, he looked at Churchill. Well, Churchill come back and he would believe that he could be prime minister again? In the I think he's, of course, he'd be. And Churchill's his hero. Well, right? of course, and Churchill was kicked out after Gallipoli, struggled back, then warned the country. Uh, same age. I mean, you know, he, he undoubtedly thinks the country will want him back at a later stage. So there could be a second act of... Oh, there'll be Boris many. Johnson. There'll be many acts to come. He is not going to go quietly. And he's too big a beast. And he'll, the, w Boris's greatest weakness throughout the last couple of years was, has he learned from his mistakes? And the tragedy for him is he didn't learn from his mistakes and worse, didn't have anybody 
like a solid wife to say, these are your mistakes. She just kept on pouring more fuel on, on, the, uh, on the flames. Do you think that relationship will last? I don't. I don't. And I, I, I just wish you'd go back to Marina. I just wish he'd find a way in which he could find a solid life. But the trouble is, as I said in this uh, in, a little earlier, he's searching for love. He, you know, he is really a, emotionally deprived. A very senior cabinet minister who resigned said that to me, that in the end, that is the secret weakness of Boris, the search for love. Tom Bauer. Absolutely fascinating. Tom Bauer, Boris Berger for predicting there will be a second political act for Boris Johnson. Thank you so much. Tom. Boris Johnson said he regrets being denied the chance to continue to deliver the vast mandate given to him by the British public. But the ousted PM declared his pride at what his government has achieved since that landslide victory in 2019. Also, I'm immensely proud of the achievements of this government from getting Brexit done to settling our relations uh, with the continent for over half a century, uh, reclaiming the power for this country to make its own laws in Parliament, getting us all through the pandemic, delivering the fastest vaccine rollout in Europe, the fastest exit from lockdown, and in the last few months, leading the West in standing up to Putin's aggression in Ukraine. So, former Conservative Minister Anne Widdicombe with me now live. Anne, will Boris Johnson's legacy be delivering Brexit, something his predecessor failed to do? Uh, it should be, but a great deal depends on what happens next. Do we get a Remainer replacing him? I don't think for one moment the question's going to be reopened as to do we rejoin the EU. I don't think that. But any uh, really Remain-minded Prime Minister... Uh, could start making enormous concessions over Northern Ireland, over you know some of our economic deals, uh, and could undermine Brexit that way. So, in order to secure a lasting legacy for us, we do need, really need, a proper Brexiteer there, uh, mm. not somebody uh, who you know sort of shilly shallies and says, "Well, I was maybe remain, maybe leave." We need a very clear. Uh, very committed Brexiteer there. Otherwise, I think that legacy is in danger, not of being lost, but of being severely watered down. So, and for example, does that mean you wouldn't accept Liz Truss as a potential Prime Minister? I only ask because obviously we know that she voted to remain. Uh, but since that day, she absolutely accepted the result and then she's done a very good job at secure, you know, when, when, when she was International Trade Secretary, she did a very good job at, at securing uh, fair trade, uh, free trade deals all around the world. Uh, Liz Truss has been immensely competent uh, at getting the trade deals. I don't think there's any doubt about that at all. Uh, but I would have very severe doubts of, about her as a prime minister at this moment. I don't think she's got the strength of personality. I don't think she's got the charisma. I think she has got the competence. But you need a lot more than that to be prime minister. And so I, I wouldn't be going for her anyway. Is there anyone exciting you, Anne? No, absolutely not. <laughs> um, I mean, That's the issue, quite... isn't it? That is the <laughs> issue. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the reasons, wasn't the principal reason, but it was one of the reasons why I wanted Boris to stay, because I simply couldn't see a successor. There's no king over the water. There's nobody around whom everybody is coalescing. And that does mean that we're going to have weeks and months of, of the Tory party uh, fighting amongst itself and then deciding with the general election sort of coming down the track towards it, then deciding what it's going to do. There'll be complete policy drift 
um, a policy constipation, if you like, between now and the next leader coming in. I know. It's just disastrous, Anne. We're in the middle of a cost of living crisis. Yeah. We're in the middle of a war. We now have yeah. a lame duck prime minister in place. And did you actually think it was a fair point today, Anne, when Boris said in his farewell address... Uh, look, this is an eccentric decision. I mean, he used the word eccentric. He clearly means a, a, a crazy decision, a, a, a mad decision, because actually he's midterm, only a few points behind Labour. I mean, some of the polls only have him a couple of points behind Labour. Exactly. I mean, you know, the, the way that the Westminster Village sees this and the way that the BBC have been pressing this yeah. uh, and the way that the country in general sees it, I think the, there are two completely different points of view. Uh, and I think at the moment, everybody is assuming, well, there's only one view, you know, that Boris had to go and that Boris is a serial liar and that Boris is chaotic, which he is, admittedly, you know, and that that is the only view. Um, but actually, there are two views and there'll be people tearing up their party membership cards. And I think that might come as a shock to some people who imagines there's one united, who imagine there's one united view. But, Anne, what are we going to do about this? I mean, it's not just the BBC, but I think it's very wise for you to raise the BBC. I call them the Boris Bashing Corporation now because... They do a mea culpa each time after, you know, completely missing Brexit, completely missing the Red Wall. But, Anne, if you had watched the BBC coverage uh, over the past week as an outsider, you would think that 99.9% .9 of the country hate Boris Johnson, that they want him removed. There is simply no balance in their coverage when it comes to the Prime Minister. That is correct. And not only would you think it watching the BBC, but it's quite obvious the BBC thinks it itself. <laughs> it, it's in that sort of mindset. It's in, if you like, what William Hague used to call the Hampstead liberal mindset. That's what it is. And it thinks that its view is a universal view. And it got a terrible shock over the referendum because it just didn't understand that actually there are two views in this country and not just the BBC's view. Uh, and uh, I, you know, but we have got now a press and media in general, it's not just the Beeb, uh, who go for the politics of personal destruction, the high drama, mm. um, you know, the, the, the worst possible outcome to absolutely everything because that makes such good headlines. That's what they're all after. There is no responsibility out there. There is no sense of proportion. Let me give you a very good example. Yeah. Uh, everybody is saying, oh, well, Boris uh, rushed in, tried to change the rules to save his friend Owen Patterson. They ignore the fact that there was then an inquiry by an appeal, appeal court judge who did recommend changes to the rules. Now, they ignore that bit completely and just focus on the fact, oh, well, you know, Boris was rushing in to save a friend. And this is where, and I've said it before on your programme, Boris went so wrong, he didn't have anybody in Downing Street who would say to him, quiet, Boris, quiet. Mm. You know, we've got to deal with this in a slightly different way. Otherwise, Whatever you're thinking, Boris, it's going to look as if you're thinking something completely different. Nobody, mm. nobody, nobody took on that role after Dominic. Former Conservative Minister David Meller is tonight's outsider. It didn't take long for the lefty Liberal coalition of woke to start making their moves just hours after the PM said he would quit. Here's one trick pony scheming Sturgeon blabbing earlier today about how chaos at number 10 proves the case for Scotland's independence after being asked who should run the country. 
The very idea that you're putting that legitimate question to me, if not Boris Johnson, then who? Is it Dominic Raab? For me, really does underline this point. Scotland wouldn't choose any of these people to be Prime Minister. Um, and that's the problem here. We're looking at this Westminster system and the, the chaotic Westminster system that it's become, and it doesn't represent what Scotland or a majority of people in Scotland want believe or value. And that's not going to change with the departure of Boris Johnson. The Westminster system is broken and it's that system that we need an alternative to for Scotland. The wet Conservatives behind Boris's demise were warned more than once. Toppling him has left the door open for a Lib, Labour, SNP, Green coalition from hell that gives the now wounded Conservatives yet another headache to deal with. And let's not forget it will be puppet master Tony Blair pulling the strings from behind the scenes. David Mallor, who served as Chief Secretary to the Treasury under John Major, said rightly this week it would mean endless left-wing rule and the punishment of the middle classes, an end to social mobility and aspiration, ever higher taxes, and it would almost certainly mean another Euro referendum with all the misery and division that would bring. And David joins me now live. So... David, how did the Tories stop that, that perilous outcome? I didn't hear who the bloke was who made it, though. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, but Boris is now gone. Uh, so how does a new Tory leader mm. manage to stop that outcome when the party now, David, seems to be in the midst of a uh, civil war? Yes, yeah, they are. But, you know, I have to say one thing. You know, I, I, I would love what Boris said he was going to do at the last election. I'd love it if that had been done. So there's no difference between us on that. But I can exclusively reveal to you the person responsible for Boris's demise. Would you like me to tell you? Go on. His name is Boris Johnson. Thought you might say that, David. No, but you see, look, let's think about this. The BBC have been a pain in the nether regions for the Conservatives all the years I've been involved in politics. Yeah, but this was another like level. This was Margaret another Thatcher level. Was, but Margaret Thatcher not only said the right things most of the time, but Margaret Thatcher also got on with it. And Bernard Ingham, her press secretary, wouldn't allow her to read the papers or watch the television. He gave her a digest of what she needed to know. Now, the problem um, with Boris is that he was too, um, uh, he was just, A, not able to implement what uh, he said he was going to do, because Boris is not an implementer, and he should have had people around him who could have done that. But even worse, Boris just allowed himself to appear to be a man totally lacking in a moral compass. So you had all those parties in Partygate, which did were gravely damaging. You know, so he was... Yeah, what he was telling everyone else, they couldn't even see a dying relative because of the of the curse of COVID. Um, he, he was running the gardens of number 10 like it was a Chicago speakeasy under prohibition. And then you get all this, uh, all, 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 all this uh, nonsense about Mr. Pincher. What earth made him think that Pincher was a suitable man to be in his government? Even as Under Secretary for Latrines, but do you think that's big enough? Do you, do you think the, the Pincher scandal? Mm. Do you think the Pincher scandal, though, really uh, is really big enough to, to to bring down a Prime Minister elected with an eighty seat landslide majority just three years it's ago? It's what um, it, it's, it's 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 what when I was in the law 
uh, you know, and you were dealing with a dodgy motor car, whatever you call it, a congeries of defects. It's a congeries of things. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I propagated by the media, though. Yeah. But, but the thing about Boris, it was a, 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 a phrase I came across, a description of someone in Churchill's time, uh, where somebody said uh, there wasn't just a skeleton in his cupboard. They were hanging like candelabra throughout his... <laughs> yes, but we and accepted that. Boris, it wasn't one thing, it was something else. So I just think as conservatives, we have to stop being paranoid. I know, as Henry Kissinger once said, even paranoids have enemies. But the truth of the matter is that Boris Johnson will go to his grave surely kicking himself that he failed to get a grip. You know, the Boris that was describing himself um, today was a Boris who was totally dedicated to doing all the things he said he would do. The real Boris was something very different, a chaotic number 10, an inability to implement what he said he was going to do. Look, we talk about delivering Brexit. I hate the EU. I've always hated the EU. Uh, David Young, bless him, once said to me, when did you start hating the EU? I said, when I started to go to Brussels. And he said, me too. But so here, I, I'm not on any different side of the fence, but I just think delivering Brexit is not passing a bill in Parliament. Delivering Brexit is getting rid yeah. of all the EU rules Absolutely. and all the stuff. You know that the, the, the story. Yes, Boris but David, looking forward, looking forward, how does the Tory party now manage to end this civil war and and stop the, the, the dreaded coalition that, that you wrote about in the mail? Because yeah, to me, the I, chances I, of that happening have now increased, not decreased. That, that, I mean, I'm glad you read that coalition piece because the Lib Dems, in, when they went into coalition with uh, the Conservatives, they all they asked for was a referendum. They then got, I think, what, 28% of the vote or whatever for electoral reform. So now... They, 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 they want electoral reform, but the public are not allowed to have any, any part in that. And once you get electoral reform, you end up where, you know, the Lib Dems become like the Free Democrats in Germany. Uh, and, they, you know, they can go 30 years and they're, they're in government just deciding, changing a partner from time to time. But, OK, you, you, you asked me, and I know we haven't got endless time. The first thing we've got to do is do something about this awful three months interregnum there's no point in pretending that Boris from beyond the grave, as it were, could be a saviour. So the first thing that has to happen is the Tories have got to get on with electing the leader. Now, the problem is, at the moment, it's like a selling plate at Fontwell with, you know, everybody except my mum or your mum, and my mum sadly gone to a better place, uh, standing. Why the hell don't they have the sense to work out who are the credible people and let them get on with it? And then they get on with it. So we get, why do we have to wait until October to get a new Tory leader? Now, once we've got a new Tory leader, the question is, obviously, it has to be the right leader. I, I think it's got to be someone who, first of all, will convince the public as to their integrity and competence, and secondly, will want to do the right job. And I okay. think, you know, David Mallow, we're hmm. going to have to continue this conversation next week, but very good points as <laughs> ever. Thank you so much, David.
Dan Wooden here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate, and review, and join me for more newsmaking interviews, fiery debate, and free speech on Dan Wooden tonight every Monday to Thursday from 9 p.m. till 11 p.m. on GB News. 